Please turn with me this evening to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, in the parable of the prodigal son. I'll just read verse 20. And when the prodigal son arose, he came to his senses, he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Well, friends, we're looking uh, this evening uh, for a brief time at this amazing and well-known parable, the parable of the prodigal son, and uh, my title is uh, Welcome Home. Welcome Home, because that's what it was for this erring son when he finally returned home. He got such a surprise. He got such an unexpected surprise. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve such a welcome, but that's what he got. A lesson for all of us. We're all erring children as well, erring sinners. The moment you return back to the Lord, what sort of a welcome will he give me? Or will he accept me? I've been such a wretched person. I've lived such a terrible life. I've lived away from him. Surely he won't accept me. Oh, this parable, friends, that Jesus told is all to tell you, No, 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 no. Put away such a thought. Return to him today in repentance and faith and he will receive you. He will welcome you in such a wonderful way as this father welcomed his erring son. Well, you know, today, so many people, they have such a wrong idea about God. When they think about God, They think of him in a very different way. Oh, yes, they know him perhaps to be a supreme being, a being who who is powerful and who can do anything. That's very true. But then they think of him as a God who is far, far, far away, so far away that he is not concerned. He's disinterested in our world. He's made our world, but he doesn't care anymore about it. He's left it, as it were, to itself. He is beyond the skies. He has become this cold and heartless supreme being who is passionless and without any feeling. It's almost like they've made the living God an idol who is devoid of feeling and is cold and motionless. That's how they think about him, so far from the truth. And others, while they think of him just as a God, who gives our rules and regulations, and then who keeps a close eye on them, who scrutinizes their every moment, really as it were with a cane, like a headmaster, to whip them, to beat them, as if uh, wherever they go astray and to do something wrong. One who is always ready to punish. That's their idea of God. Some religions teach that, you know. Some religions present such a picture of the Almighty as this kind of ogre, and they never talk about love. Do you know that, apart from Christianity, very, the other religions don't really talk about a God of love. And it's a great surprise to hear that this God is one who has feelings of love and feelings for people and cares for people and is compassionate and merciful. How oh, there's some news to them. They've never heard it. They've only grown up knowing a God who is hard and cold and distant. Well, as parable, friends, tells us so much about our God. God is represented 
here as her father. Christ who knows him best, he represents him, he speaks to us here of God as the father, he shows to us the very heart of God, that God the father, the first person of the Trinity, is a compassionate father. He is a God who pities us, who feels for us, who cares for us, who is deeply concerned about us. A God who desires to have us near him and not at a distance. A God who longs for us, we could say, to return to him and to his house, to come under his protection and uh, his care. The compassionate heart of God. That's one of the main lessons of this parable that God receives repenting sinners, that he welcomes them back to himself. The other lesson here is the insanity of man, the insanity of men who stay away from God. Did you hear me right? We said the insanity of men and women, the madness of man and women. And it's here really in, the, in our text in verse 17 when we read about the, that son, when he came to himself, well, the word there is talking about when he came to his right senses. Uh, before, when he was living a life without God, he was living a life at a distance from God. Well, that's portrayed to us as a period of madness, a time of insanity to choose such a life to live. And then that's what the meaning here is. But when he came to himself, he came to his senses again. Reason returned to him. He realized, oh, what a fool I've been. It's as, it's as if he, he snapped out of his madness in a moment of time. And now he realizes what, that he's living in the wrong way. And he's to live far away from his father's house was a great mistake and a great error of his life. And he decides upon returning home. Oh, friends, it's madness, this parable is telling us, to live a life separate from our God and our Creator and our eternal heavenly friend. Well, let me just quickly go through it. Uh, this verse 11, we read, a, a certain man had two sons. Well, this father, he had high hopes for these two boys, he invested a lot in them. He had educated them. He had brought them up very well, taught them uh, good manners and so on. He trained them. He had uh, provided for their, their needs. They had everything that they, they needed at home. He showed them the ropes as they were growing older, how to look after the estate. And he expected, as they grew in age, he expected them to take up responsibilities uh, in the home uh, or in, in the estate. He expected them to put back into that work of their time and their energy, to use the skills that they had gained for that particular purpose, because he has eventually in mind that they will come and take over the managing of the estate of it. So he was very taken aback. He was greatly surprised when, in verse 12, we read about the younger son coming to him and saying, out of the blue, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He never expected that. Father, his youngest son, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He expected more from this son. Oh, friends, 
Those were horrible words that he, the son spoke. Those were terrible things because he's not just saying, give me my part of the inheritance. What he's actually saying here is, Father, I, I cannot wait until you are dead and gone and then get the inheritance. I want my money now. I want my portion now. I can't wait until that time. I want it now. I, in fact, he's saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead and gone so that I could have my hands on this portion. That's what he's saying. Nasty words, isn't it, friends? How could he speak like that? And yet look at the father's response. So amazing. The father just divided unto them uh, his living, gives unto uh, the son as he desired. He probably got a third of that inheritance. The firstborn son, the elder son, usually got two-thirds. So he got a third of, a third of it. But then look at verse 13. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Just a few days later. Oh, now he's revealing his true colors. Now he's, everything is really coming up. Now we see what he's really been thinking of and what he's really been considering. It's not that he just wants his inheritance. He wants to get away from his father altogether. And he can't wait to get away from him. He converts his inheritance into cash. And with pockets loaded, well, he takes his leave of the family home and he took his journey into a far country. Not the next door country. Not the neighboring country. Not the country after that even. Perhaps even a lot further after that he went to a very far country. As far as he could, as, as a long way from home as he could. He wants to get as far away from his father as he can. That's what's in his mind. That's his motivation. He wants to leave behind all remembrance of him. He hates his father. He doesn't like that uh, duty, that responsibility of having to serve him. He wants freedom. He wants liberty. He doesn't want to be bound and shackled in this kind of a way. He wants to be able to do whatever he wants to do. He wants his independence. I want to do my will. I want to go my way. I want to do as I like. That's his, that's his thinking. I don't want all eyes upon me observing what I do, what I say, telling me it's wrong. I don't want those fatherly eyes upon me. I want to do as I like. He's heard about the bright lights in the far country. Oh, news has come back to him. The pleasures that were there in that far, far country. It's come back to him. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to experience it for myself, he says. I'm going to throw myself hook, line, and sinker into those experiences. I'm going to fulfill those desires of my heart. Oh, what pleasures are there. What pleasures I will find. I'm not going to hold back. And no one's going to tell me to hold back. I'm going to just do what I want to do. And that's what he did, friends. That's what he did, verse 13. Uh, he went into the far country. But look, he wasted his substance with riotous living. He squandered that hard-earned inheritance on wine, women, and song. That was the kind of life he was living. He didn't invest it. He didn't invest it in property. 
He didn't put it into a savings account. That would have been a wise thing to do, at least. Instead, he spent it, he wasted his substance on riotous living. He threw parties, he indulged in the best. Nothing but the best would do for him. He lived in luxury, he followed his lust. If it felt good, he did it. Why not? If it doesn't hurt anyone, I'll do it. That was his motto. Verse 14, not long after, we read that he had spent all and there arose a mighty famine in that land. It seems to have been in a very, very short period of time. He's gone from riches to rags and he's now a very poor man. The tables have turned and there arose a great famine in that land and he began to be in want. He began to feel a great need in his, in, his, in, in his life. He's reduced to nothing. So quickly he's lost everything. He's got, gone from being rich and well-to-do and well-provided for to being a beggar. A beggar. And that's what he is. His wealth has disappeared. His friends have abandoned him. He's in want now. He's starving. He's in great need. What will he do? <clears throat> what will he do now? Go back, young man. Go back home, we cry out to him. That's the place you need to be. But he doesn't listen. He doesn't hear what you're saying. He's determined to get himself out of this mess by his own hands. I'll do it. I'll manage. I'll be able to get myself out of this trouble. I'll find a way out for myself. He's determined in himself to sort himself out. So verse 15 he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and uh, uh, that actual word, attached himself, means actually that he begged him. He begged him to this local citizen, take me on, please. As, just take me on uh, in, in your employment. And the local citizen, well, he refused to take him on initially. But because he repeatedly begged him, so he took him on and his task his task is to feed the pigs. He's sent into the, the pig farm to feed the pigs. He has something to do, but he has no food to eat. He's starving still. He's desperately hungry. He longs, he looks at the pigs are feeding. The pigs are happy, but he's discontent. He has nothing to feed, feed, fill his own belly with, and no man gave unto him. All his friends, where were all those friends he treated? They're all gone. All gone. He's on his own. Well, friends, verse 17, as a turning point in his life, he came to himself and he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. He came to himself. Oh, that's good. That's good, he came to himself. He awakened, as it were, out of his sleep. He awakened out of that dream that he was in. He came to his senses again. He thought about his father's house. Oh, life is good there, he said. Life was good there. Even the servants, the hired servants even, they have plenty to eat. They have plenty to eat and to spare. There is more than enough. 
My Father provides for everyone in that place. He gives to them so generously. None of the people who live there and walk there, work there, are, are, are go uh, without. They all are well provided for. Here I am. I'm perishing with hunger. I'm starving to death. But in my Father's house, all are provided for. My Father is so kind to everyone. He thought of him in a different way. He is so good to everyone. He is so compassionate to others. This is the kind of father he is. Oh, how wrong I was to think of him as I did. But now I see him in another light, a truer light, the real father, not the one, the imaginary one that I had in my mind. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, Dad, I'm back. Dad, I've messed up, you know, but I'm back. Take me back. I've learned my lesson, Dad. Is that what you said? Lord, uh, Dad, I've been immature. I won't do it again. Take me back. Restore me my, a part of my inheritance. Make me again your son. That's not what he said, friends. No, 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 no. He said, Father, I have his, I'm going to go back. And this is what I'm going to say uh, to my father. I, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He's truly repentant. He's truly sorry for what he has done. He feels that he is unworthy uh, to be called even the son. He feels that he just wants to go back and uh, be in the father's house. He's not going to make any excuses. He's going to frankly admit his guilt. He's ashamed. He's ashamed that he's treated his father in this kind of a way. Verse 19, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. I'm not fit to be called your son anymore. I've brought shame to the family name. I brought shame to your good name. Just make me as one of your hired servants. Oh, verse 20, that he arose. He didn't let the grass grow under his feet. Immediately he arose. Once he had decided what to do, he got up and he went and came to his father and Read there, when he, but when he was a great, he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. His father saw him from a long way off. Cut him off. Disown him, perhaps the listeners to this parable were, t were, were cried out. This is an un undeserving son. Jewish, the way the Jews were there, very filial families. To have a son like this, it was a terrible shame. No doubt they would have been very opposed to any mercy showed to him. Disown him, they would have cried out. But no, the, the Lord goes on. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He ran, ran. The father ran to the son, ran to meet him ran to greet a wayward son. This was not an obedient son returning from a business trip who had made a lot of money for the family. 
This is not somebody who has come back a successful son with awards, who's returning from university with a first in his degree. This is not a son who has achieved a lot in this life. This is a son who has wasted everything. This is a son who has brought dishonor to the family name. Oh, he's the one who the father runs uh, to meet, runs as fast as his legs can take him, and falls on his neck and kisses him. Oh, friends, what a welcome back. Did he expect that? No way. He never expected that. An undeserved welcome. But verse 21, he tries to get his words out as quickly as he can in confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But he can't complete everything he had planned to say because the father says in verse 22, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Remove his rags. Uh, Bring forth the best clothing, clothing that is only fit for a son to wear. Oh, put put on that ring on his finger, that family insignia, and then shoes for his bare feet, a sign even of uh, dignity. And then verse 23, bring hither the fatted calf. It's a time for feasting. Kill that fatted calf. Let us eat and be merry. Why? For verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He, is, he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Oh, friends, how can we apply uh, this parable to ourselves? The Father, of course, in this parable, as I said, represents the Lord God. And the youngest son, that's us. That's us before we come to Christ. Before we come to the Lord, we're very much like this younger son. We want our independence from God. We don't like God. We don't want, want him. In fact, we, if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that we hate him. We hate him. We hate his standards. We wish he wasn't around. Why does God have to be around? He spoils everything. Why does we have to... Put, impose all these standards upon me, standards I just cannot keep, and they're so restrictive. Why is he putting all these things on me? I don't like this. I don't want to be free from it. Why is he watching me every moment of the day, watching all that I do I, and say, why do I have to give an account to him at the end of my life? Why should I be responsible to him? Why should I live for him? Worship him, you say? Why should I do that? All these things we feel. Obey him, respect him. No, I'm not going to respect him. Oh, friends, this is how we are thinking we, we are about the Lord before we are saved. Oh, we want his gifts. We want the gifts that he gives. We want the inheritance. We don't want him. We don't want the Lord. We want a life. We want a good life. We want a body that is free from pain and disease. We want a healthy mind. We want intelligence. We want to be clever. We want to be beautiful. We want to be handsome. We want to have a good life. But we don't want him. We don't want to lose these good things. But we want them only for ourselves. We have a plan for our lives, a way of living that 
we've mapped out for ourselves. This is, this is my plan. This is my agenda for my life. These are going to be my standards. And God is not a part of that plan. God is absent uh, from that plan. I want his gifts, but I'm going to use them for my own ends. To satisfy my own lust. To live as I choose, as I like. I don't want God watching over me. I don't like this conscience. It's too troubling. It's too disturbing. Let's just suppress it. I don't like it. Let it be me done with it. Let me override it whenever it speaks to me and tells me I'm wrong. I need to get right with God. Oh, friends, I want God's gifts, but I don't want to thank Him for it. I don't want to make any returns to Him for it. I want everything to come uh, freely to, uh, to me. No gratitude, no thanks, no submission. Oh, friends, continue in this way of independence from God, running away from God, and you will soon realize that life is still empty for you. You'll still come to the realization that life is meaningless, even though you gain the whole world. There's so many people who've said these things again and again, but we don't listen to them. These are unbelievers even who are, who've achieved great things and uh, obtained great riches. And uh, one after the other comes, I achieved, I achieved, but I still feel empty. I still feel there's something missing. And then you listen to a, young, a Christian and they've got maybe not so much in this world, but they'll tell you I'm content. I'm so happy in my Lord. I don't want to exchange him for anything else in this world. The way you choose, the way if you choose to live a life of independence, but it just doesn't satisfy friends, you'll still be miserable at the end of it. You can try it if you like. I don't advise it. Listen to the advice of all those who have gone before. You are not made to just live for material things and for a life away from God. You and I were made for a personal relationship with God. And in knowing God and in knowing Jesus Christ, that's the way to find true satisfaction, true contentment, true fulfillment in life. Without that, you'll never ever be satisfied because within you there is a hole that only God can fill. Friends, don't be stubborn like this man. This young man, even in the face of difficulty and famine, he still tried to fix things for himself. DIY, I'll do it myself, thank you. No, friends, say, I can't DIY. I need the Lord to do it for me. Don't be stubborn like him. Uh, uh, come to him when he's, he calls and he's calling us uh, even today. Come to him to return. But, oh, friends, if this is you, if I've been describing in some way even your state here as this young son, I urge you not to continue in it. Turn around. Turn around even tonight. Return to the Lord. As this young man, he came to his senses and he decided to return to his father. Even today, if you have been what? You are one who has been living away from the Lord, independently of the Lord. Come to him. Change your mind tonight. Say, I'm going to return. I will arise and go to my father as he did. Turn around. Don't run from him. Run to him. Run to the Savior. 
Take with you words of repentance like this son. Come clean. Be honest with God. Find a place where you can bow before him and you can tell him, make an open and honest confession before him. You could take words like this. Lord, I've sinned against you. I've broken your laws. I foolishly thought that life would be better without you. But I was so foolish. Lord, I'm a rebel. I'm a proud person. Lord, I'm a stubborn person. Lord, I'm a sinner. But Lord, you are merciful. Have mercy upon me. You're a pardoning God. Forgive me. Take words like that to him. And then you must add something else in that prayer. You must make mention of Christ because without Christ you cannot be saved. Without Christ you cannot be forgiven. The Lord Jesus came all the way from heaven down to this earth to die and suffer on Calvary's tree, to suffer in his soul the agony of the pain and the punishment that was due to all those who trust in him, the sins of all those who trust in him was placed upon him and in his soul much, much more than his body. He was bearing the punishment of our sins. What a saviour. What a loving saviour that would stand in the gap and all you have to do, he says, is turn from your sin and trust in him. He doesn't ask you anything more. And you add to your prayer this, Lord Jesus, I look to you. I trust in you with all my heart. Wash me clean from my sins. Wash me now and forever. Take away my sin. Take away my guilt. And receive me, O God. You pray like that. Humbly change me, Lord. He'll hear your prayer. And he will most surely give you a warm welcome, a return, just like a welcome, just like this father gave to his son. Lord welcomes you back. He'll, he'll uh, accept you back. He'll, as it were, run out to meet you. As soon as you come in this way, he runs to meet you, to greet you, to shower you with his love, to pour upon you his mercy, to assure you that you are forgiven. If only you will come to welcome you back into his family to bless you with gifts that money cannot buy. Forgiveness, a place in heaven, eternal life, oh friends, and so much more. Well, it was a day of great rejoicing uh, for uh, th that family, and it will be a day of great rejoicing if one of you, one sinner, comes back to the Savior today, comes back to the family home, come, comes back to the Father's house. It will be a day to be merry. And we're remembering that today. Remembering it's a day for us to be joyful and glad because we have uh, one sinner who has repented and has come to know the Lord and is now going to go through the waters of baptism to show that he has returned to the Lord. And we rejoice. It's a day of rejoicing. If you read the whole chapter, you'll see that uh, we read about the angels rejoicing 
when a sinner repents. The whole choir of angels in heaven rejoices to see one sinner repenting. Oh, friends, will it be you? Why not? Why not, friends? This, my son, was dead and is alive again. He's come to his senses. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father in heaven, how we thank you and praise you for, Lord, all that you put in place to assure us that if we return to you, we will be welcomed, we will be received back. And Lord, we thank you that there is mercy and grace and pardon and life to be found in you, that there is no wrath in your eyes and indignation, but that you are a God who meets us with love and kindness. Lord, may we again return to you with all our hearts and find these things to be true for us. Lord, bless us, we pray, and continue with us now. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I'm now going to call upon, uh, move into our baptismal uh, service, and uh, I'm now going to call upon our brother.